It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Roaring. Each week, we look at sports topics locally, some nationally. we got a nice little segment on gambling, as always. And, of course, the favorite segment on the show, Ask Skinny Anything. That's you ask me questions. I try to answer them, provide wisdom, knowledge, and maybe a, a tint of humor. And then I take gets Rick's take on it as well. We got a lot to get to. Um, a rocky first week for baseball and the Reds. Uh, people opting out of the NFL and maybe more to come. And we haven't even gotten to the first real practice yet. College football, we're probably going to have some kind of decision at the end of the week on what the SEC and, and other conferences are going to do from a scheduling standpoint. But that still doesn't mean we're going to have college football. And actually, we're not going to have this on the show, but – um, you know, high school sports is being very quickly affected. The Kentucky High School Athletic Association delaying the start of sports until uh, early to mid-September. The Ohio High School Athletic Association, or at least its district schools, will probably do something similar probably by the time you're listening to this podcast. So uh, a lot going on, a lot to get to. And uh, Rick, uh, how are things going at your homestead? Still, everything's still good? It's a strange world. Everything seems like it's terrible, but at the same time, and I tweeted this out earlier this week, the other night when the Reds got their brains beat in and then FC Cincinnati was winning and then in a tie game and then missing point-blank goals to win it with a few minutes left and then losing in PKs, sitting there watching Cincinnati sports fail in the most fantastic ways and cussing at my television as I lost bets, it felt as normal as life has felt in, in a while. And that yeah, felt pretty all, good. All you need now is for the Bengals to blow another playoff game. That would be perfect. Oh, man, that would feel really good. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah, no, I don't know right really good. Track. Yeah, I don't know if it would feel really good, mind well, you. Well, good in the sense normal. of normal. Normal, yeah. right. Good, right, like, right. like the world is healing itself. Exactly, Probably. exactly. All right, lots to get to. You take it away, brother. All right, the Reds are off to a 2-4 and four start to the shortened 2020 season as of the time we are recording this. They had a brilliant showing in their 7-1 opening day win over the Tigers, but then lost four straight to the Tigers and two to the Cubs before bouncing back with a 12-7 win Wednesday night over Chicago. It's worth noting that the Reds have only had their full roster available for three games due to COVID-19 concerns, and they're 2-1 and one during that stretch. Skinny, I ask you, are the Reds closer to being the 2-1 and one team that they've been with their full roster or the 0-3 oh team that they've been without Moustakis and Senzel? I think they're closer to the two and one team, although that's six sixty seven baseball, and so team's not going to to, to do that. Um, I just don't know if they have a, a manager that's capable of doing that. Micromanaging oh. D- David Bell, the the king of micromanagement, one hundred and one. Um, the good part is, and, and and there's no doubt, the big three in the rotation have been great to this point. The two starts for Sonny Gray have been outstanding. Luis Castillo was above and beyond, and Trevor Bauer was above and beyond all both of them. Um, and do I expect them to continue the rate they're going? Probably not, but I think it also shows you the potential of the big three. Uh, get these Sclafani back. Um, then you can make a decision between Tyler Malley and, and Wade Miley, um, who you want to be your fifth starter. But um, the micromanaging's got to stop, man. Uh, I, I, again, I, I like analytics. I, I like you know, some, of the, some of the lineup things that David Bell does at times, but um, Sunday's inexcusable to have Christian Cologne batting in any way, shape, or form. I mean, they, Look, that that guy shouldn't get in the back this year. He, I mean, he just he, he he's not a major league level hitter. And I know you were down on the roster, but you can find anybody. Hell, Michael Lorenzen could have DH'd if he needed it. No, uh, no, stop, stop micromanaging. Excuse me, the guy you paid 
$21 million oh, to bring yeah. over from Japan oh, didn't yeah. even play in that game. Yeah. That's yeah. my biggest issue. I There is zero logic behind the Shogo Akiyama thing. He has looked like a professional from the second he stepped in Cincinnati. All of his at-bats that we've seen through inter-squad scrimmages, uh, the, the little spring training games that they played, or whatever you want to call them that just happened right before the season started against the Tigers – and now through the first few games, he's given you professional at-bats. He doesn't look overmatched in any way, shape, or form. He's going to deep into counts, and he's seen and hitting the ball well. I have no idea why they have made the decision that he shouldn't be playing against lefties. And the only excuse we've been given from Bell is that we, we want to give him the best chance to, to succeed here in America. Why do you think that would mean not starting every day? Like if, I, I, I don't if I'm a player I, I that's playing well, I want to be in the lineup every day. I feel like you don't trust me if you're not willing to play me against the lefties. And, and to me, that would make it even harder to fit in with my new team, especially if I'm playing well. It makes absolutely no sense. The logic is totally bogus on that. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to give David Bell a pass for the opening day lineup and not no Shogo in it. Um, uh, I, Phil Irvin just kills lefties, and I think he had to play. They want Senzel. I think it's pretty clear they want Senzel when he is available to be the center fielder um, and and not mess around with him so much. So, okay, I'll give you that. And I think that night, that opening night, Matt Davidson had come off really swinging the bat well in those those inner squad games and then the, the, the exhibitions or whatever you want to call them against the Tigers. And, you know, he's got power. I mean, he had 49 home runs for the White Sox um, in, in 17 and 18 combined. And, and I get riding the hot bat, and unfortunately that made Shogo the odd man out. But on Sunday when you were down Moustakas and you were down Senzel, I don't care if it was Randy Johnson pitching. Shogo had to be in the lineup. And, yeah, I'm with you at this point. And maybe he's going to force their hand the way he's doing the things you're talking about, Rick. Um, he has to hit leadoff every single solitary night. Yep. I, I mean, that's To me, that's the most egregious part. I'm one who I don't really care about managers in baseball that much. I just don't think they make that big of a difference. I Until mean, they overmanage. Well, and, and, and that's the thing. For me to get to this point where I am bothered and annoyed by the manager – it really has to be fairly egregious. And, and to me, the, the two things are Shogo Akiyama is the biggest one. And the other one is everyone wants to talk about the pitchers. And and I think there's some legitimacy there. I think there's more legitimacy if you factor in his track record of last season and doing it a little bit too much later in the year last year. But right now, if you look at the stats, Reds pitchers are going as long as anybody in baseball right now. Yeah, no, no. You know, I, I, th- and I, think, yeah, I think there's two, two things at work here. I don't think anybody should fault him for the handling of the starting pitchers. My fault comes in when an Amir Garrett comes in and throws all of 11 pitches and dominates in an inning and you don't want him to start the next inning. Baloney. He's going good. Let him go good until he's not going good. Yeah. And I, I mean, like I, the, the taking your good players out of games just for one instance, whether it's a, a righty versus lefty pitching matchup that you want to use or taking Moustakis out of the game last night because you want to pinch run for him in the seventh inning or whatever. Like, he might get another at-bat in that game, and the Cubs are on their way back. Like, granted, yeah, maybe that run is important now, so you want to try to push it across, but just quit taking your best players out of the game. Leave them on the field. Let them do what they do, especially when they've got you a giant lead to begin with. That that's the thing that drives me crazy. The whole starting pitching stuff, I don't have a problem with. Not near the I, I, yeah, I don't either. I'm does. with you. The yeah, only I thing either. I would say is like last night, you're in the situation with Sonny Gray. And granted, to his credit, Sonny Gray said after the game, 
that Bell came out and gave him the option of staying in or, or not. But at, but at the end of the day, Bell was the one who made the decision after Sonny Gray had just struck a guy out and had two outs in the inning with runners on second and third to go out to the mountain and ask him if he wanted to come out of the game. It's like, at that point, if I'm David Bell, I say my bullpen stinks. We've got a game in hand right here. Let Sonny Gray will get us out of this inning with minimal damage. Worst case, those two runs score, but he's going to get you right. out of here. And then you give your bullpen a clean slate next inning. I have no idea why you even go out to bother with that. That's the type of tinkering where it's just like, why are you doing so much? Just settle yeah. down and let your best players take care of business. All right, now let's go back to your original question. Your, your thoughts on is this team closer to the 2-1 and one with the full group or the 0-3 oh without? Well, I mean, I'd, I'd love to say what you said, the former, right? They're, they're close to the 2-1 and one team when they've had Moustakis in the lineup, and I think Moustakis completely changes this lineup. I, that's, that's been the most apparent thing to me for that little stretch that him and Senzel were out. He is a huge presence that changes the way like Joey Votto well, is getting pitched it, to, Castellanos is getting pitched to. He makes a major, major impact in that lineup. Well, and especially when Suarez is, is slumped like he has here to start the, the sure. thing off. I mean, he, he certainly helps take up the slack for that for sure. Suarez is going to eventually hit. And then, um, then you really got something going in this lineup, I think. Yeah, I agree. And, and so I want to say it for that reason. But at the same time, it kind of concerns me when you're starting pitching can be as lights out at the top as they've been even better than we expected before the season. We had really high expectations and yet you're in the situation you are, you were one and four to start. Now you're two and four trying to claw your way back into this thing. That's a real concern when you had maybe the most dominant, you know, four of the most dominant starts of the season. So right, far right. by your starting staff, like if you can't find ways to win those games, Man, that's really concerning. And I don't know what the answer for the bullpen is. And actually, I, I, someone uh, sent us in an Ask Skinny question, but I'll, I'll pose it to you now. Um, he asked, as of today, who do you trust in the Reds' bullpen? And what is the solution to add more guys to the trusted side of the ledger? Um, I think run them out in games like last night, which they did, and Cody Reed doesn't have my trust anymore. Well, he really didn't to begin with. Um, I, I trust Amir Garrett. I do trust him. Uh, I do too. He gave up home run the other night, but he's been good for the most yes, part. Yes, yeah. I, I trust him. It's, it's a great question to ask because I, I think as a manager, that's some of it too. So I, ha I have a, a thought here, 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 I guess here's where I would go with the trust though, and it goes back to my point that I made earlier. If Pedro Strope comes in and, and mows the side down on, you know, he doesn't need 36 pitches to get out of inning. Let's say he uses 15. I think I want that guy to go another inning for me, right? I think that's part of it, too. That earns more trust. And that way you're not having to go, all right, my formula is starter for six and then three relievers for an inning apiece. Well, you know what I need out of those three relievers? I need three lights-out performances from three different guys. How, I bet, how about I get a lights-out performance from one of those guys? That's all I need. And if that guy struggles, all right, then I'll go to my next guy, and hopefully he's the guy that can do it. So I, I think, to me, I, I stopped trying to do this one-inning, one-inning, one-inning thing and, 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 and let your relievers go a little bit longer. Amir Garrett came up as a starter. Remember, he was, going, he was a starter at one point. Rizal Iglesias was a starter. Um, Michael Lorenzen was a starter. These guys don't need to be babied and throw 15, 18, 19 pitches. Let them throw 35, 40, and two innings worth. And especially if they're going good, let them continue to go good. That's the micromanagement that bothers me. Yeah, I actually agree with that. And the other side will say, boy, if you throw him two innings this time, well, you've burned him. You can't use him the next time. I'm fine with that. Two, 
Yeah, I agreed. That's I'm with you. I think it's much harder to find four different guys to pitch well on the same day than it is to find two and, and your closer. You know, I mean, granted, the closer at Rizel Iglesias is a whole other issue with this team. But and, and, and especially point. when you yeah, and especially when you're no longer mixing and matching, right? You're no longer able to go lefty, lefty, righty, righty. Right. So if a guy is getting getting outs, I'm gonna have to say, look, he looked great that inning. I'm going another one with him because. I, 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 I'm not trusting the next guy to get it done because this guy's getting it done. And that's the part to me that feels very, very formulaic, very by the book, as opposed to saying, no, this is the way it's going to be done because um, it, it may not be by the book, but it's the way that it should be done. And yeah, maybe I burn Amir Garrett um, for a day. He can't come back for two days. But a lot of times you see managers anyway. They throw a guy one inning. They don't bring him back the next day. Sometimes they do. Unfortunately, Michael Lorenzen got ran out there, what, three days in a row and got his brains beat in. But for the most part, a lot of times, guy pitches one day, doesn't pitch the next anyway. So I'm going to maximize that guy on the day he's going to pitch. So let me, let's go back to the question of what's the solution to add more guys to the trusted side of the ledger? And sort of a, a, one of my concerns, again, which is if you've got your, your three starters pitching as well as they have and you're blowing some of those games like that's a major concern so I go back to what Trevor Bauer has suggested since they all came back together which is there's it's a short season we've got guys that are made to to pitch a lot of innings let's go to a four-man rotation and I think that accomplishes two things one it gives you a whole lot more opportunity of those three pitching you, you just eliminate one of those off days for him and, and pitch them a little bit more often and the second is you put one of those starting arms back in the bullpen and maybe you give yourself another arm whether it be a long relief guy or you say hey one of these guys like uh or something we feel good about his stuff for one inning we're gonna let him throw it three all or, or for three innings well what but even if you say you know we're struggling so much at the back end of the bullpen one of these guys we can try out in that role i'm fine with whatever you want to do with it but i think you've got to get creative i do think you have to do something and it has to be in short order you can't go a month before you get this figured out you'll be out of it by then yeah i, I the one I'm, I'm really disappointed in rise Iglesias because i still believe in the guy's stuff but I, it, the more you, at the this more point you, though yeah the more you keep running wrong. him out there I, I i think it's mental i think the more you keep running him out there in a tie game or in a, in a tight situation the more he's going to mess it up and and back to the guys i i can't trust him anymore and i and i'm one that likes the guy i think the guy's got really electric stuff but I can't trust him right now. And I, and I, it's a legit question. And I think some of that's the issue if you're David Bell is who do I trust? But I go back to, okay, maybe I don't trust all of them. So what I need to do is maximize the guys I trust. And on nights like last night, run Cody Reed out there and let's see if he can do something for an inning to, to maybe better himself. Run Lucas Sims out there for an inning and see if he can maybe do something to get his mind right and his stuff right and his, his confidence back. And if he doesn't, well, okay, it was a 12-7 you know, game, and, and it got closer at the end than it probably should have, but it didn't cost us anything. So to me, I think that's how you try to get these guys and, and, and get their trust back. Yeah, I mean, with Rizel, it to me, it feels like he's an NFL kicker at this point. Like yeah, right. You said, it's a mental thing. He's lost it right now, and maybe he'll find it again, but until that happens, it feels like uh, he's almost worthless at this point at the back of the bullpen in a tight game. So it's, it's a tough – uh, issue for David Bell and his staff to solve and you know there's there's some things you can criticize them for I don't know if the bullpen is one of them other than what you said of just maybe tinker a little less with certain guys when they're going well so yeah 
Uh, All right. Following the coronavirus outbreak that infected nearly half of the Miami Marlins roster and prompted the temporary suspension of the team season, Major League Baseball is encouraging players not to leave hotels and road cities except for games, mandating the use of surgical masks instead of cloth masks during travel, and requiring every team to travel with a compliance officer who ensures players and staff properly follow the league's protocol. The updated rules outlined in a memo distributed to teams Tuesday came as MLB investigates the cause of the Marlins outbreak that has seen 16 players and two staff members test positive for COVID-19. Skinny, what do you think of the way Major League Baseball has handled restarting during the pandemic so far? Well, I think they trusted the players to do the right thing. And I think the good news, if there's good news to this, um, you really haven't had this on other teams. You had Matt Davidson with the Reds. And you had all these Phillies, uh, or excuse me, all these Marlins players, and it trickled to some Phillies staff. Um, and it sounds to me like this was a Marlins issue, that they were, some players on their team were irresponsible. And then you can argue if Don Mattingly was irresponsible, knowing some guys were sick, and then still allowing them to go ahead and play that game on Sunday, knowing that uh, this has got a chance to be bad. That quote was amazing, wasn't it? Yes, that part was extremely amazing. So to me, this sounded like more of a Miami Marlins irresponsibility issue. I think the red flag for the rest of the teams is, fellas, look, I I know you want to go pick up Susie or you want to go to the bar with the boys. Um, If you do, you got to do it in the most extreme safe way possible because look what just happened to that team. They almost came close to ruining the whole thing for everybody and maybe shutting their team down at a minimum. I think that's the lesson that comes out of this for the rest of the teams. And again, I think the good news is to this point though, Rick, other than that team and really since Friday, since Matt Davidson and and earlier last week, uh, Juan Soto for the Nationals, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think there's been another positive test in baseball, correct? Right, yeah. They announced that they had, had uh, like 3,000 tests uh, around the, the league and no other, whether it be players or team personnel, had tested positive, which is stunning. And, and in a lot of ways, I think that should be a positive sign for yes. the sport. People want to lose their minds at what happened with the Marlins, and obviously that's a scary situation. But it, I guess the, the concern becomes – what happens now? Because the Marlins haven't played for about a week and there's the potential that they could restart, you know, after this weekend. But even that might be a little far-fetched considering how many people in their traveling party were infected. So I, I, I guess the, the, that's the concern is like, do you just have to start dropping teams and say, sorry, you're one of the unlucky ones that didn't survive the plague. You, you don't get to play the rest of the season or is there some way you can still make this fair even if a team's missed a week of games by the end of the year and you don't have any time to make it up? Yeah, the only thing I can think of is that those teams have to start forfeiting. And I guess that's not fair to the rest of baseball because you're, you know, if you're the team getting advantage of the forfeits, that doesn't seem right. But I don't know what else you can do because you don't have time to make it up. Could you make up a game or two with, with some seven-inning doubleheaders, which they're actually talking about doing – this coming weekend for the Phillies, I believe. Yeah, and that's um, great, but... Which I think is a good idea. But you're still going to run out of time for that too, Rick. I mean, at some point, yeah. you're going to run out of time of cramming all this in. So That's, I, not, I think a, you get that's the, not a week's worth of games, you know? Right, correct. I, I think you do get to the point of, listen, if, it, if, it, if a team is this irresponsible, either they better bring their team up from the alternate site and just play with that team, or you just forfeit. They're adding a uh, compliance officer is what they're terming it. Well, I think the compliance officer will be effective. I'm interested to see how that role works out. I I am too, but it's it's a shame if that's what you have to do to have adults act like adults. I mean, I mean, but but here's the thing. You look at what happened to the Reds. Like, okay, so Moustakis and Senzel do the right thing. Uh, They say, hey, I didn't feel great when I woke up this morning, so I'm staying home. They have no positive test. They continue to test negative. 
and they end up having to miss a couple days, even though they're tested negative, that like I understand being overly cautious, but at the same time, that type of policy is going to encourage the players to lie on their own and, and do exactly what the Marlins are doing. Well, well, then then you have to go to this, then you'll have to go to daily testing. Yeah, I, I'm, I mean, I'm not. I'm not. Tr- I'm not. Tr- I, I look. I applaud Mustakas and Senzel for doing the right thing. I do. Too. I know everybody got. Bent, I, I know everybody got bent out of shape, but I think there's also protocols there that you've got to test negative a couple of times, and it takes a little bit of time to get that done and get the test result back and all that. And, and fortunately, they had to miss a couple of games for doing the right thing. But again, I'm applauding those two guys for doing the right thing. And uh, I, you know, I know, you know, like I said, some guys got up in arms with it. But the, the, the alternative is we'll test you every day. I know we've talked about it with the NBA bubble and, you know, the sex workers and, and how that's going to happen. And it's kind of tough with the NBA bubble because you got to be able to get them in. But as you mentioned, with baseball, these guys are just traveling city to city, kind of doing their usual thing. That's the biggest issue. And I will say, if you are an industrious young lady in, in that field of work, a marketing campaign that says you've been quarantining for the last two weeks ahead of a team arriving in town is probably your best bet right now. I got to imagine I, you can make some good coin pulling that one off. I, I would agree, man. Put it on Craigslist. I am COVID free. Call me at <laughs> Craigslist. I, I, I hope they might be moving to like Instagram DMS or something in 2020. Just do the classifieds. <laughs> Put it in the classifieds in the inquire. I'm a Corona. I'm, I'm Corona free. Center fielder seeks young yeah, lass. BRF five five five. Corona free quarantine. Yes, young lass. <laughs> All right. Skinny the Bengals made some quarterback moves this week. First, the team agreed to terms with number one overall pick Joe Burrow on a four-year, thirty-six million dollar deal that includes a twenty-three point nine million dollar signing bonus. Then it was reported that the team is expected to sign veteran quarterback Brandon Allen this weekend. Allen is a four-year player who was drafted by the Jaguars, played for the Rams in 2017-18 when Bengals coach Zach Taylor was an assistant with the team, and he started three games for the Broncos last season. Enquirer columnist Paul Doherty wrote a column on if Joe Burrow will start for the Bengals, in which he asks, has there ever been a better season to bench your franchise quarterback? I'll let that marinate. Skinny, so I ask you, do you think it's possible the Bengals hold Joe Burrow out week one or potentially even longer to protect their future franchise quarterback who's not going to have any preseason games? Yeah, that question was actually asked. I think Doc even asked uh, Zach that question uh, on a Zoom call we had with him on, on Wednesday, and he point blank said, no, Joe's our guy from day one. Um, so, But he also oh, said they I, weren't going to sign a veteran quarterback, and they have now right. done so. He, he did say that. I I take the veteran quarterback signing as a couple of things. Number one, um, if they're going to start breaking up in, into groups and training camp more than what they normally do, and, and he talked about actually having two separate practices going at once, um, two separate walkthroughs going at once so, uh, so guys could get more reps because it's such a short period of time, you need a fourth quarterback. I mean, most teams bring a fourth quarterback. I, that's why I was always surprised back when he said it in May that they weren't going to bring a veteran in. Um, because, you know, normally you have four quarterbacks in camp anyway. Uh, and you know the one guy is not going to make it. So uh, it, it is what it is. Um, I also think that in this, this year of potentially a guy coming down with it, and, and it was – the question was asked of Zach as well about, you know, would you think about quarantining your quarterbacks? And surprisingly, he said, yeah, we've thought about it. We've talked about it. So I think you have to have as many bodies as possible just in case. So I don't read much into the Brandon Allen signing other than that. If you look at his track record, I mean, he – He's basically been a journeyman in his career. This is his fourth team in five years. He was awful in the three starts with, with, with Denver last year. 
To me, he's nothing more than a camp arm and, and a fourth quarterback insurance policy just in case one of the other or a couple of those guys get, get sick. I think that's all it is. Yeah, it kind of is interesting to me that he did play for the Rams when Zach Taylor was there. It feels very much going back to what we talked to when we said maybe the reason he doesn't want a veteran is is because he wants the message to be right. cohesive, wants his own message to be there, and kind of the only one, no dissenting views. I think Brandon Allen probably seems like a safe bet in that regard. He's not yes, exactly. some veteran with his own idea of how to do things that's going to come in and say, hey, hey, Rook, let me take you under my wing. He's going to be like, no, I got along with Coach Taylor. The system worked for me, and fortunately he gave me a job now, so I'm in- indebted to him. Yeah, no, I, I, think that's ex- I think that's exactly it. I mean, if it had been a different veteran, then, yeah, maybe my eyebrows get raised a little bit. But I, I think to what you said, and um, I, I get Doc's point. I, you know, I've, I've thought about that same thing, but at, at the same time, listen, uh, and, and Zach made the point yesterday, you know, they, they believe the world in Joe Burrow. They think he's ready to do it from day one. Goofy preseason, no preseason games, however you want to look at this, that, that he's the guy. And, and I, I think you do roll with it. And, and, again, I just think you have to have as a fan – and maybe even a coach, and maybe even for Joe, just a different expectation level without any preseason. Jonah Williams better be damn good. Yes, he better. I mean, because it could get real ugly for Joe if that blind side isn't protected on week one. No, no, no question. All right, Skitty Xavier has added two new players to its roster in the last week. On Saturday, the Musketeers picked up Belmont transfer Adam Kunkel, and then on Wednesday, they added Hampton transfer Ben Stanley. Kunkel is expected to sit out this year, and then we'll have two years remaining starting in 2021. 22 while Stanley is expected to seek a waiver to play immediately if he gets the waiver he'll also have two years of eligibility left Travis Steele has now brought in nine transfers in just three off seasons as Xavier's head coach Skinny what do you think of Steele's use of the trans transfer portal you know back in the day it always seemed very seedy and very unseemly when when you took on multiple transfers but that's the, that's the day and age we live in though i mean it, it the transfer portal is like the free agency portal anymore and you best get the best ones possible or the ones that best fit your system and i think you know the the more this has gone on i think it's a good thing for everybody um i do think it gives the player in some cases an easy out when he doesn't need to take the easy out but listen if he wants out of a place and wants in a different situation that's his his choice and I think it gives it gives coaches. And I think we talked about this with Adam Kunkel last week before he committed to Xavier. Um, I think you and I agreed. We both saw him a bunch in high school. Um, I thought the world of him, but I also thought Belmont was a good fit. I was hoping he'd go down there and eventually start. And instead, within two years, he becomes a star in that league and for that team in a good program. To where, okay, as a high school player, Xavier wasn't going to really recruit him. Kentucky wasn't going to recruit him. Louisville wasn't going to recruit him. UC wasn't going to recruit him. And yet his name was mentioned with all of those places because, look, it's like a lot of things in life. You either get worse, you get better. He got better. And, and so I think that's where the transfer portal has been a good thing is some guys play their ways above, above a Hampton, above a Norfolk State, above – just pick whatever – above Sacred Heart. Um, and it gives them a chance if they want to swing and swing for the fence and, and go play for a bigger school. And it also gives the coaches now a better chance to evaluate and go, okay, I've seen Adam Kunkel play against some really good teams and do some good things. He can play for us now. Come out of high school, probably didn't think he could. And honestly, truth be told, he probably couldn't. So, again, I, I think if, if you'd asked this question 15, 20 years ago, it always raised red flags of, oh, my gosh, what kind of program are you running? Jerry Tarkanian, Fresno State, he would take on, what, all those transfers, and all of them would have baggage. And usually that was the thing. Usually back then, transfers did have baggage. That's why they were transferring. Um, but nowadays, it's just, it's, it's, I think it's just kind of a, almost a free agency pool, and I, I think he's done a good job with it. Yeah, I think 
that's the one thing that stands out is clearly he has figured out how to work his roster so he always has space to take these guys. And he has figured out how to always be in the mix right away. He gets on them early. He has the right connections. And uh, the staff does a good job of, of being able to bring these guys in. I think you have to look at some of these transfers differently. That first year he comes in, and there was no one in that 2018 recruiting class, so they were kind of depleted of talent altogether. He knew he needed some pieces just to play that season, and so he brought in three guys. Zach Hankins was a player. They knew that. They had been recruiting him, um, and and Kyle Castlin and Ryan Wellage were kind of more stopgap-type pieces that were probably a little bit of a stretch, but they were what he could get on short notice with no right. actual recruits available. Then last season, you get a guy in Jason Carter who they're able to get graduated early and uh, get two years of eligibility and, and have him able to play right away. Now, he didn't quite live up to expectations after being really good at, in the MAC at Ohio, uh, but you still have him for another year, and he's been in the program. I think he'll be solid this year. I think that was a good get, a guy who was, who was going to give you a legitimate piece. And then Bryce Moore as a grad transfer – they were still trying to replace that shooting on the roster. They were never able to get with Chris Mack. They never got in that 2018 class, and it just didn't work out. Bryce Moore was, had a knee injury when he first got there, and even if he didn't have that, I don't know if he was quite up to standard of, of being a 3 and D guy in the Big East the way Xavier needed him to be. So, again, it was kind of still scrambling to try to backfill that roster as something he didn't have coming in. This Now, this season to me feels a little bit different because now – He's got his recruits coming in. He's had time to get recruits and get his own guys into place to where you kind of could see the direction of the roster at this point. So right now, to me, you're taking four more transfers this year. It, now it becomes clearly, okay, this is part of what you're going to do going forward, it seems like. like This is part of your plan on how you want to build your roster, and it, it, this is something that you should be judged on. Because the, the, the first couple uh, I look at as, well, you're doing what you had to do to scrap and, and, and just get pieces in place. This, though, you could have had other guys. You could have had other recruits that you want to groom your own way. You're taking these guys because you think they're going to make you better. I think he he should be judged on what these transfers do, and I think these are diff different pieces. I think Nate Johnson and Brian Griffin are, again, kind of uh, fill out the back of your roster. Nate Johnson hopefully adds some shooting and, and some, some defense and just depth on the perimeter. And Brian Griffin, I'm hearing good things about his body, the shape that he's in, and uh, he, can, he can hopefully give you some size and rebounding. Maybe if Deontay Miles isn't quite ready, you've got a backup center there and Brian Griffin coming up from the D2 level. But Kunkel and Stanley, to me, they're looking at those two guys as more to be contributors um, for the next two, two years. Kunkel for, you know, 2021, 22, and 22-23. So I'm, I'm really interested to see how these four transfers work out now because I think it's a little bit different than the first five he had during the, the first two years of his tenure. And I do think it'll be interesting because we talk so much about the one and done and how do you overcome – the elite recruits in college basketball and how, you know, Duke and Kentucky and those types of schools kind of have the monopoly on it. And, and it's been pretty clear that the way to do that is be ha by having an experienced roster. And one way you can do that quickly is by doing it through the transfer portal. So we'll see how that works out for uh, Steele and his staff going forward. Yeah. And, and I'll go back to look, recruiting is pretty inexact when you're getting past the, the, those upper echelon guys. Right. I mean, it really is. And even some of some of the upper echelon guys, um, you, you, that, that you can occasionally miss on for whatever reason. But to me, I, I think if I'm finding a polished college player, which I think 
you know, in Adam Kunkel's case, I think he certainly is. I think it just gives me a little bit better read. And I think you're right. I think a lot of the, the ones in the, in the previous couple of years were fill out the roster as opposed to Adam Kunkel, who was an all league player in a, in a nice league. I mean, and, and, and certainly um, was, was extremely good in that league. And I know you can argue Jason Carter did the same thing in the Mac and you can certainly argue the Mac's a better league than the OVC, but I think it's different positions, different usages, all of those things. So I'm with you. I think you get judged a little bit differently now, but I also, I see a lot of positives in taking, taking transfers, at least, you know, a little more polished transfers in this case. Yeah, I agree. And, and with Kunkel, it's, I think him sitting out that year and work, getting in the weight yeah. room, working on everything is going to be really smart because I think that first year, everyone struggles a little bit with the jump. I think that's what you saw with Jason Carter. I think he'll be much better this year. Same thing when Travis Taylor came from Monmouth to Xavier, and that was when Xavier was in the A-10. You know, so, and, and he had a big jump up still. So I, the, we talked about Kunkel a lot on last week. Gives him a shooter, a guy with really good feel on the offensive end. Um, Stanley is an interesting player because he's kind of like that C.J. Anderson body type where he's like a 6'5", 6'6", big man that isn't really going to stretch the floor a whole lot. He does most of his damage in the paint. Um, he's more athletic, though. He's, he's a really good athlete, plays above the rim, dunks a lot. He's a, he's a pretty good rebounder. Um, and at Hampton, they played absolutely zero defense. So it's really <laughs> hard to tell if it, like he doesn't look good on defense, but no one on his team is playing any defense and they have no system in place. So um, it'll be interesting to see, can he guard, you know, like a, a four and a five or maybe even a three and a four in the big East, if he's within a, a, a legit system and knows what he's doing, we'll see. That's, that's kind of my biggest question for him is, is Ken is rebounding improve a little bit when he's not asked to score so much. Cause he was, he averaged 22 points a game was the second leading score in his conference um, in the big South. Uh, that that's kind of my interest. The thing I'm most interested to see: can he rebound more and can he play defense? So, and lastly, you do think he'll get the the waiver? I mean, you look at everything going on right now, and the fact that Hampton canceled classes until 2021, right. they canceled right. fall sports. I think he's going to have a pretty good chance to get it, but there's no guarantees with this stuff, especially with the NCAA. So they'll right. just have to right. see. And if, and if he doesn't get it, then he burned a year of eligibility because he already redshirted as a freshman at right. Hampton. He's played two years. He only has two years left, um, whether he sits out or not. So, All right, Skinny, let's shift gears to college football. The Power Five conferences are moving towards playing conference games only this fall. The ACC has decided on an 11-game schedule consisting of 10 conference games and one non-conference opponent. The conference also announced Notre Dame will be joining them for the 2020 season. The Big Ten announced it's only going to play conference games, as did the Pac-12, and the SEC is reportedly going to do something similar. What do you think the Power Five moving to a conference-only schedule means for college football? I hope it's just short-term, and I think it probably is just because of the uniqueness of this year. And, and I think it gives these conferences the flexibility, too, of if, if you have to push things back and or eliminate a game or two because of it, all you're doing is eliminating conference games and everybody's still on the same footing at that point, um, as opposed to playing maybe you, you wanted a 10-game conference schedule. Um, it becomes eight just because you had to push it back or it becomes six if it comes, comes to it. So I get it. I, I do like the ACC model and the SEC doesn't sound like it's going to go to something similar, which the ACC, as you mentioned, is going to the 10 conference games and then the one um, non-conference. And, and they were trying to preserve some of those in-state rivalries. And in fact, I think it's worded that, that it has that to be game, in an it has ACC to be in state. state. Right, right. Yeah. So it, it preserves Florida, Florida State. It preserves Clemson, South Carolina. It preserves Georgia, Georgia Tech. It preserves uh, Kentucky, Louisville. Um, and that would disappoint me if Kentucky, Louisville don't play. That seems kind of silly to me that Kentucky could go to a Starkville, Mississippi, and yet it can't Texas go. Texas A&M. 
Yeah, Texas A&M, and they can't go 65 minutes across I-64 to play a game or vice versa. That sounds almost stupid to me, to be quite frank. Um, so, I, I and, and the SEC commissioner, uh, Greg Sankey, um, took to task the report that the SEC was going to a conference-only schedule. Um, now, maybe it got leaked out and he didn't want it leaked out that that was what it was going to be. I, I do wonder if they don't relent and go – go one non-conference game and then a conference only. I think, unfortunately, for Kentucky, a conference only schedule will be a disaster. Um, look, Kentucky's living off going to bowls by going at least 3-1, and one, if not 4-0 and oh, um, in non-conference games, yeah. and then trying to go 3-5, and 4-4 four and four in, in conference games. That gets you to the 8-4, and 7-5 and five mark, and voila, you go to a bowl every year. And I'm, I'm satisfied with that. You know, you have the special year like a couple of years ago, obviously, right, where you were – literally playing for a chance to, to win the SEC East. That just doesn't happen every year, and it doesn't happen every decade. And, hell, it doesn't happen maybe in every lifetime for, for people. So I think an SEC-only schedule for Kentucky is, is, is not going to bode well, to be quite frank. Yeah, I agree with that. And I guess from a fan's perspective – by the way, the SEC, I think it was reported last night I saw the, the latest was that they're discussing multiple ideas that was either right. conference only, adding a few more conference – the games on to everybody's schedule. So you get you know, like 10 games or something, uh, 10 or 11 um, that, or playing like a, a conference in two type scenario where you might have like one or two non-conference games that would right. be rivalry games, similar to what the ACC is talking about. So they're still discussing multiple things, but it sounds like they're going to be along the same lines. And I guess from a fan's perspective, for me, I look at it and I say, I, it's not going to change much. Like I'm still going to see the big games I want to see. Most of this is going to be good football. Right. In fact, we might get a couple extra good football games instead of the snooze fest we get in the non-conference. So I, I don't think it's going to be a bad product. And at the same time, that concerns me a little bit. I was talking to a college basketball coach uh, recently, and he, uh, a mid-major coach, and he was just talking about how, like, for the most part, as much as you know, we talk about the conference realignments and everybody kind of doing their own thing and trying to shice each other and make more money, at the end of the day, NCAA schools have always kind of stuck together on certain things and tried to, to pull up the mid-majors and, and stay together so we have this kind of unique world. And, and yes, there's some, some BS that goes on with the amateurism of it and all that. But he goes, for the most part, we've looked out for each other and tried to keep this thing together. And his big concern was this year, with everyone having to try to just fend for themselves, he said it might kind of be the end of that. Like, if, if we go to this thing where all these mid-majors are just on their own to make their money, they don't have enough to pay for football in a lot of scenarios. And if you no, go to something where, like, you don't have an NCAA basketball tournament, which pays for most everything for the mid-majors, then, you, I mean, they're really screwed. So it, it, there are some real concerns here about the idea of these schools. And, and I know the, the Power Five, they can't afford to play by games this year. I totally understand that. There's not going to be fans in the stands. But it is a little bit concerning about what this means for – the overall health and overall future of college athletics. Yeah, I, again, like I said, I think if it, I, I don't think it'll be this way moving forward. I think there's a couple things too. I think as coaches, um, look, people can laugh at the SEC when they have that week where they play the UT Chattanoogas and the and the Charleston Southerns and those. But listen, man, if you're playing in the SEC or in any of the Power Five leagues, but the SEC especially because it is it is certainly the bell cow, you can't have every week be a grind. Okay, you just can't. So you need those other games. You need that week off. Until and, they find and, out how much money they can make off doing it. Mm, I, 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 I would almost tell you, I think coaches would go kicking and screaming if all they're playing is, is teams in their league. Because oh, it's going to cost coaches. 
it's going to cost coaches jobs eventually. Like I said, look, I, I'm a big, I'm a big uh, critic of Mark Stoops. I think he's a goof, but I, I, I got to tip my cap to at least the job he's done overall in, in kind of building the Kentucky football program. But listen, if, 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 if he was judged just on conference games and record, he would be fired by now. I mean, it's just, it's that simple. And it's not his fault. I mean, you're at Kentucky. You're not a blue blood football program in the Southeastern Conference. So again, like I said, as a, as a graduate and a fan of, of Kentucky football, I'm more than satisfied with, hey, go 4-0 non-league, win me three SEC games, maybe win a fourth and go eight and four and go to a ball. I, you, if you gave me that every year, I'd sign up and say, I'll take it. But if Kentucky's suddenly playing 10 SEC opponents, two and eight, three and seven, maybe a good year you go four and six, you do that consistently, are you going to have a job in three years, four years? No. No, although the uh, probably the gauge at Kentucky is going to change for what constitutes a good season. Yeah. But I, I yeah, I just, I, I think this year being unique. And like I said, I think it gives the part of the reason of doing this again is the flexibility of, like I said, if you have 10 conference games and you want to start in September and suddenly September 5th rolls around and you just, it's, it's not safe to start and you push it back two weeks. Well, you lop off two games. All right. We're still all playing eight conference games. Well, you got to lop off two more. All right. We're all playing six conference games. I think the uniqueness of, of this year lends itself to that. I just don't see them doing those kind of things moving forward. Maybe I'm naive. Maybe I, I should believe that, but I just don't. Yeah, I mean, my, my biggest concern is just that there's always been that talk of, you know, them kind of doing their own thing, the Power Five just separating and, and kind of seceding from the NCAA in general. And with the name, image, and likeness stuff coming into play, it's all – it seems like a lot of, of things are in the works right now that could make for the perfect storm. But we'll see. Hopefully you're right. And at the end of the day, they'll all try to just keep it together going forward after this one unique season where everybody has to do what they have to do to get by. And listen, here's, here's the thing. I, I, it's good that we're talking about at least scheduling college games and scheduling them. And I think the big 12s actually tried to move up their games to the end of August to start. Good luck. You ain't starting then. I'm just, I wish, I wish I could say you are, but I just don't see it. Yeah. Well, we'll have to see. Uh, Time for our betting segment. Sports are actually back so we can talk some bets. And Skinny, the NBA restarts tonight in the Orlando bubble with the Jazz playing the Pelicans at 6.30 and the Clippers taking on the Lakers at 9. Then tomorrow there's a full slate of games starting at 2.30 p.m. The Lakers and the Bucks are equal odds to win the NBA championship at plus 250. That's on the uh, DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. So Skinny, we'll start our betting segment off with a little NBA talk to celebrate basketball being back which nba team do you like as a futures pick to win it all i got four of them one of them extreme long shot um just because it just feels like something goofy is going to happen right okay so i've got one team in the east um and they're 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 actually when i bet them they were a little bit higher odds than what they've gone down to look i think the bucks are the best team and 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 they've certainly proven that over the last couple of years and they're arguably maybe the best team in the nba when push comes to shove but I took the Philadelphia 76ers. They were 28 to 1. The East is not very strong, right? Outside of the Bucks, and you can argue the Raptors and, I, and Celtics, which, again, none of those make, other than the Bucks, none of those make me go, wow. And you know, the Bucks' odds I don't like, so I just kind of went on by that. Um, Sixers were 28 to 1. I, I just, I thought that was just with the talent they have, and they're, they're changing their lineup around, or they're moving Ben Simmons positionally. Maybe that does something for him and for them. I just, they just have so much talent. I like, I like them a lot coming out of the East. Let's start there. If you were going with one, who do you go with in the East, at least from an odds perspective, not from the best team. I think you'd agree with me. Milwaukee's clearly the best team. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I do agree with you about the Bucks, And even at plus 250, like I look at that for the Lakers and the Bucks, and at plus 250, I know that's not a lot for a futures pick, but I, I feel pretty good about both of those teams. So, like, I mean, if, if you I, I, go with the, I, the, the Lakers, that's not a terrible bet in my opinion. The, the, yeah, and for those that are wondering how that works, that's basically five to two, two and a half to one on right. your money. Um, the Lakers would bug me only because it feels like, can Anthony Davis go through the next two months without getting hurt? I mean, honestly, can he? And if he gets hurt, night-night. Yeah, I mean, that's fair, but at least he's had this whole time to, to gear himself up. I know he's already dealing with the eye or something leading into right. tonight. Right, so. that's, that's, that's yeah. my point. <laughs> but to go back to your pick, I love the Sixers pick. And actually, if you got it at 28-1, to 1, that's really good odds. On DraftKings Sportsbook, as of today, they're down to 20-1 to 1 odds. They're, yeah, they're plus 2,000 yeah. right now. Um I, I'm with you. I don't – I mean, yes, they were disappointing this year. They finished, what, sixth, I think, or they're at sixth right now in the East, right. I believe. But last year they were one game short of Eastern Conference Finals. Um, the, the, I guess the, the biggest thing to me is their record, if you look at them, the splits this year, they were great at home, terrible on the road. Awful on the road, yes. So does that mean that they are awful away from home, or does it that mean that they're awful in their opponent's gym? Because it just right. means they can't play in their opponent's gym, and they're fine if it's a neutral, equal site. Orlando could be great for them. They might be just fine, and, and that could uh, uh, be really beneficial if you're looking to well, play them. And the other thing that you mentioned is getting Al Horford, who everyone made such a big deal about them adding him in free agency, but getting him out of the starting lineup so you have a little more freedom with that smaller lineup and playing Shake Milton more, who gives you a, a shooter on the perimeter, I think is a really good look for them on offense. Yeah, I just I, I like the fact that they use that time to kind of decide to tweak it. Whether Tinker, it works or yeah, not. Yeah, it was you, the right you, time. You got, you got, what do you have to lose? Right. Yeah, you got a few games to try it out. And if not, guess what? You can always go back to what you had. Um, Which and wasn't I just, any I good they, anyway. Well, but I think you got a lot of talent, though. I do. I, I do think too. it's a You've really talented stars. team. And I think you could argue, though, the same of Anthony Davis going down. Yeah, if Joel Embiid goes down, night-night Sixers. But I'm going to take that risk at 28-1. to 1. All right, I got three picks in the West, though. I, took one, I only took one in the East. I made four future picks. Okay. In the West, I'm all in on the Houston Rockets. I don't know why. I just like the odds. I think that they've got, in kind of this setting, two guys that can just go off at any time and then playing that small ball, all those things. I don't. Again, do I think they're the best team in the West? I do not. I don't even know if they're the third best team in the West. I just, I just love their odds, and I am all in on, on them. And then I'll give you my two others in a second. Who well, do you uh, like in the West? Well, let me ask you this. Where did you – what uh, you, you actually bet all these already, correct? Yes, correct. Did correct. you put these in in Lawrenceburg at the casino? I, I did. Okay. So these are actual odds that you could get if you wanted to go to Lawrenceburg. You put them in at Hollywood Casino. I'm looking at the DraftKings Sportsbook app, which, again, if you cross the river right now and uh, wanted to bet this, you could put it in on the DraftKings Sportsbook app. I've got the Houston Rockets at fourteen to one odds. That, that's Where what did I you got. Get my... I got them at fourteen to one. Okay, I made so, two two, yeah, two separate times. Good. I went fourteen to one. Yes. Yeah, I no, I think the the uh, Rockets are a good pick as well. I'm going to go way outside on an extreme, extreme long shot. You went on the Sixers. If you really want something crazy, one team that I just think is is weirdly good is the Mavericks. Oh, dude, I got them. 45 that, to that, 1 odds. Dude, I got them at 60 to 1. I got them. Oh, wow. that's, that's, that's my long shot. My other team I took was uh, – I took a flyer on the Utah Jazz. I, that's probably not a very good pick. But, again, I was – I decided to kind of go all in on three West teams and hope that some kind of craziness happens that if, again, Anthony Davis gets hurt or Kawhi gets hurt, that it all, it all falls apart. And then 
anything can happen. But yes, I've got four picks. Dallas is my long shot pick. Um, I, I'm kind of in on them too. I, I I love the odds, and I just I think they've got again in just a weird circumstance they got a shot. They've got just enough, right? Like yes. I, like you said, yes. if Anthony Davis goes down and something weird happens, like the Mavericks have just enough in terms of star power to me, and I like this the, the supporting cast too. They've got some guys that can flash for for a week or two and, and really give you some firepower there on, on the offensive end. Uh, that team intrigues me, and, and at forty five to one, I, I like. It. Yeah, let me see. Sixty to one, I love. Yeah, well, hang on, let me see what I, I let me. I got it. My, you know, it's funny. I've got them sitting right here. And your billfold. No, I've got them on a piece of paper. I've got them in a, in, in my closet actually. I got Dallas at. 45 to 1. I got Philly at 28 to 1. Houston at 12, no, 14 to 1. And I got um I got Utah at 33 to 1 it looks like. Okay. Well so so you did get Dallas at 45 to 1. Same as yeah, you can I did. Get them right yes, now. Yes, then, which yes. again, Sorry I think is is good odds. Um and that again, that's available. That's as of this morning on DraftKings Sportsbook app. I'm looking at it right now. I will be placing my futures picks later this afternoon. Is any other NBA stuff you want to get to? Because I got a few other things uh, here on the betting segment. No, go ahead. No, no. I just I, I, I think it's going to be interesting to watch. And like I said, I, I, I think the fact that we're just going to have a couple of week run up and then playoff basketball. And I've told you I'm not a huge NBA fan, but I like anything of playoffs. I like I like high school soccer playoffs, for goodness sakes. I even like the MLS's back tournament just because of the, the suspense of it. Um, and, and, you know, kind of when you get to that one-and-done format, um, I, I think any of that stuff is good. So, yeah, you'd give me playoff anything, uh, I'm, I'm good with it. So we're getting close to, to playoff NBA basketball, and I'm good with that. Yeah, I, I can't wait for the NBA to be back. But you mentioned uh, the MLS's back tournament. I don't know if you saw my tweet the other night, but uh, my new betting strategy, MLS, big MLS better now, I have – because we talked about uh, FC Cincinnati's new style where they're just playing this like zone defense and playing everybody back and, and uh, just trying to pack it in and keep it low. You take the under? I'm doing first half unders. I love they, it. I bet it the other night they went zero zero first half. Perfect. What, what was, what was the total in the first half? Uh, it was, I think it was one and a half. I think it was one. Yeah. I don't, I don't, Tremendous. I can't remember what the, I can't remember what the total um, was, but it was, it was, ba- but I didn't even do that. What I did was uh, they had another line where you could get really good odds if you took 0.5, like it was an adjusted line. Oh my! So heavens. I took less than 0.5 and and got that. So that's that's, that's awesome. That is definitely my new tip: is bet uh, FC Cincy first half unders or even adjusted unders if you can get a, a better. Love odd. it. All Love right, BetOnline.ag has some interesting odds out about. I guess their take on where we're at with the coronavirus. Um, a, a few things here. Will NFL shorten their season in 2020? Skinny, what do you think would be the favorite here? Yes or no? I think yes would be the favorite. No is the favorite here. Really? Minus 140. Yes is even money right now. No is minus 140. Yes is even money. to so will NFL shorten their season? That surprised me. That surprised me too. I, I There's still a part of me that thinks – more guys start opting out. The season gets pushed back a few weeks. Um, and when it does, they have to lop off a couple of games. So that, that, that surprises me. Along the same lines, will the Super Bowl take place on February 7th, 2021? Yes is minus 200. Mm. So that's the heavy favorite. They say the Super Bowl will take place on February 7th, 2021, or at least that's where the money is right now. Uh, no is plus 150. So kind of interesting there. I, I, like, I, I like the value on the no, man. I do too, at least because it, 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 the, it, the date could change. 
I mean, right, because that's what I'm saying. They didn't say the Super Bowl wouldn't be played. They were saying on the specific on date specific that it's currently date. scheduled, and I just don't think that's going to happen. Uh, yeah, I think they're, uh, that's interesting. That, those odds change even more. I might get down on that. Will there be a World Series in 2020? Skinny, what do you think is the favorite there? I'll say that no is the favorite, but I think it w- we will have a World Series in 2020. No, so yes is the heavy favorite at okay. minus 300. Right. Yeah, so I'm not going to make that way. odds. Yeah, I'm not going to make that wager either way because I do think it's going to be played, but I'm not laying one to three. Yeah, no is two to one odds. So no is plus 200 right now. That's betonline.ag. Uh, will the NBA finish the season with a declared winner? What do, you, what do you think about this? I think that yes, because I think the bubble's proving that it's going to work. Yes is minus 700. So the yeah, money is bet, heavily yeah. in that favor. No is plus 400, four to one odds there. Sadly, um, all, it ta- all it takes is Wanda with coronavirus to shut that thing down, man. And I, I, I'm not making that bet. Wanda's got to Wanda. get, get past Mickey Mouse first, it, my man. Yeah, she doesn't well, have the bracelet. Wanda's got her ways to get through Mickey Mouse, too, by the well, way. Well, she's tricky. Uh, yeah, she will is. NHL finish season with a declared winner? Yes or no? What do you think about that one? There is an NHL? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Um, I'll say yes there, too. Yeah, yeah, the Canadians aren't canceling their season. Minus 800 is hey, on if, yes right now. Uh, no is plus 425. If worse comes to worse, they'll go play on a lake in Lake Manitoba to get this thing finished, man. <laughs> go purify yourselves in the waters of Lake Minnetonka. Yep, exactly. All right, time for our favorite segment of the podcast. Time for Ask Skinny Anything, where people send us all types of questions, and I pose them to you, and then sometimes we talk about them because they're fun. All right, so we'll start off this one because we've got a bunch to get through here. What do you think of the NFL top 100 list? Skinny, you know the NFL top 100, where the players are voting for the top players. Yes. Yes, correct. Yeah, like I said, I I usually don't pay it much mind. I always just see where if if a Bengal or two are in there and then put up a little blurb on our website that Geno Atkins was 72nd or A.J. Green was 45th. And after that, I just don't care. This year, though, I mean, honestly, seriously. Patrick Mahomes is number four. And this is what tell you know what this tells me? This is why when everybody bitches about baseball writers voting for the Hall of Fame, all the players, players don't know a damn thing. They because don't know a damn thing. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Uh, look, you want to argue Lamar Jackson number one, which he was. It was him one, Russell Wilson two, Aaron Donald three, and then Patrick Mahomes. You want to put Lamar Jackson there, and he was the MVP last year, right? So okay, right. I'll give you that. But there ain't no way Pat Mahomes ain't number two then on that list. Come on. Russell Wilson and Aaron Donald ahead of Patrick Mahomes. Come on. And look, Aaron Donald's a record. Aaron Donald should be in the top 10 somewhere to me. Sure, and, and he's it, great. But yeah, no, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Come on is exactly right. And this is why I don't pay attention to these kind of things. It's just another list. And I like lists. I make lists. I like making lists. But this to me is, is, is absolutely bogus. Why don't guys like Pat Mahomes, he's, he's too good. Is he, he's too wholesome. Is it his crazy girlfriend on Snapchat or Instagram or whatever? What's, what's the deal with Pat Mahomes? Why is he not liked? Well, the only thing I can tell you is this. If, if you, if you had to legitimately make a reason for somebody voting in the order that it wound up being in, like I said, Lamar is the reigning MVP, right? Sure. Okay. I, I, if he's the reigning MVP, and I, I guess can make I can that argue. argument. Yeah. Okay. All right. Russell Wilson does do, probably more with less than any quarterback in the league. And so, okay, I can maybe give you that argument. Aaron Donald is just, he's a, he is the singular best player in his position in the league, in my opinion. Geno Atkins was there at one point. He's no longer there. And I think you'd agree with that. Um, he's no longer there. And I think at one point, you know, people were comparing Aaron Donald to Geno Atkins. Well, now Aaron Donald's in a class by himself. So 
I guess I could make some of that argument, but but no, not realistically. Not when I finally sit down and put pen to paper. No, Pat Mahomes is going either either one or two, and it's not even debatable. Yeah, here's my problem with that argument. Maybe Lamar Jackson, but I don't even know if I feel that way about him. Pat Mahomes, I can legitimately make the argument. Obviously, he has to prove a ton more, but I can legitimately make the argument he's the best NFL player ever. He could legitimately be that good. Like, there could might be. not be anybody more talented than him to ever play the game. Am I going to say that about Russell Wilson or Aaron Donald? No, no, I'm not. Sorry, that's just not the case. Like, he is at the peak right now. He just took his team to the Super Bowl, Super Bowl MVP. The, the guy, in addition to all of those things and, and the, the level he's playing at, might also be the most talented player we've ever seen. I'm not saying about those other two. Lamar Jackson obviously has those crazy physical tools. I'm not as sold as him as I am on Pat Mahomes, but okay. I'll give you that argument if you want to make it from the player's perspective. But man, come on. It's crazy to me not have to Pat Mahomes one or two in this list. The other other thing I'll say too is um, Pat Mahomes has good skill guys around him, right? But I don't think he's got like – I don't think I'd put his core as elite around him. Travis Kelsey is elite as a tight end, but okay. He's he's good for tight end. Tyreek Hill is one of the best YouTubers in the NFL. And, and Tyree Kill is a, is a is certainly a dangerous weapon, but Cheetah. I mean it's it's not like he's got you know just this vast array of uber talented weapons around him. Now they've done some of the with a skill set of making sure you got fast guys, guys that can get downfield, take advantage of that arm, that big arm, all those things. But I mean, let's not act like Patrick Mahomes has got uh, Jerry Rice on one side and Randy Moss on the other and Tony Gonzalez at tight end, for goodness sakes, and Barry Sanders in the backfield. And I think some, some of it he gets dinged for they think that he's got all this talent around him. Yeah, he's got talent around him, and those guys are good. And look, like I said, Travis Kelsey is arguably, between him and George Kittle, the best tight end in the NFL. But does he get dinged for that, maybe, that people think he's got this uber talent around him? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me either way. Regardless, Even if they feel that way, it still doesn't make sense to me. But Good, good, good point, actually. Yeah. All right, what was your take on the not triple play in the Reds-Cubs game Wednesday, which if you right. didn't see, it was clearly shown on yeah. replay that the ball had hit the dirt, uh, but it wasn't a reviewable play. So, Yeah, and I don't understand why it's not a reviewable play. I mean, can't you review whether a ball is, is trapped or not? Yes, in the outfield. So what I was told was that it would just be a logistics nightmare figuring out what to do. And then, so my my idea, my initial thought is, okay, but then why is it not on a ball hit to the outfield? Right. And I guess the only thing is you can more clearly see, like on a replay. Well, you can okay, clearly see this thing short hop his glove. Oh, yeah. You, no, I, I meant um, where, where runners would be, right? Like, if a ball is hit into the outfield, as the ball gets down as a normal single, that guy's making it to second base for the most part, right? Or third base or home or wherever they're going. The next base, you can clearly say, okay, you give that guy one base. If it's a ball that took one hop in the infield, that, like, that guy could go to second base. He could go home. He could – like, it's really hard to predict where – where you'd put the runners at, I guess. That's that, that's that's fair. Okay, so, so I, I guess, guess just, that's the only logic right. behind okay. it. Okay, so I, I can, guess we just we just chalk this up to just simply a bad call. Yeah, we're we're just back in t- back in time, right? Like you right, just have to right. accept that it's a bad call, which okay. sucks. And I go, and that's why I go back to I it, hate it replay. Yeah, I know, I know. This is always. It feels like whenever we have these moments, it always comes back to you. You have the right side of this argument. 
which is just do away with replay. Just do away with replay. I mean, because there's no doubt. I mean, the ball short hop for sure. But you're right. In that circumstance, Chris Bryant could have turned it into a 5-4-3 double play, right? Or the runner from third breaks, and he decides he wants to get that guy in a rundown. So, yeah, it, it, you're right. It's impossible. Right. The to only thing you can really do is just say it's a redo at that point, and then that's kind of like, well – yeah, that's uh, that not right either. Makes sense either. So correct, correct. Yeah, ah, man, that's that's a tough spot. But like honestly, once I thought about, it, I was like, I guess it does kind of make sense. I feel like there might be a way you could figure out what to do with the runners. But all right, fair enough. It it, it would take a lot of work and probably get screwed up more often than not. I, I hate to say it, but I'm kind of coming out on your side on the replay thing. I, I think just, we're just chalking it up to a bad call. It's that simple. <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, this is a good one. It goes back to our conversation about the Reds manager. Skinny, your favorite bell and your least favorite bell. They want to know. I don't mm. think this is li- limited to people. Yeah, I know that. I'm trying to. <laughs> Taco so Bell is ta- Taco Taco my favorite. Taco Bell is my favorite with, without question. Yeah, that's question. very easy. Um, I know they want us to say David I, I, Bell is our I, least favorite, but I don't think that's true. This will be an inside joke to some degree. I like Bell Adana, if you know who she is. Um, Google her Google her at some point, kids. Um. She's a freak, but I do like her. Um, so that's a favorite bell of mine. Um, let me think. Least favorite bell? Least favorite bell. Man, oh, man. <laughs> I guess I'll go back to the day. The school bell. Never liked it. Yeah. That is, that is a pretty terrible bell, honestly. Yes, it is. It's uh, well, unless it's, the, unless it's the last bell of the day, though. Yeah, but usually for us, we had like the horn at the end of the day for some reason, or, the, or the, you just get the oh, thing over horn. the announcement of you guys are dismissed. I can't remember how that always worked, but the, yeah, the school bell, yeah, just that initial ring when you're standing in the hallway talking to a girl and, and, and all of a sudden that bell disrupts the conversation. You have to sprint to homeroom. Never liked the school bell, Chief. Never liked it. Uh, the Liberty Bell in Newport is, is all right. I would have it like mid-range on my bell rankings. On your, on your bell list? Yeah, bell peppers I would have mid-range. Ooh. I like them okay. I'm a big fan of bell peppers. Yeah, I'm yeah, good Bell with that. peppers are all right. Uh, David Bell, I mean, lower half of the bell rankings for me, but I'm not going to say he's my least favorite bell. That's me. Look uh, look up Lexi Bell, too, by the way, while you're at it, while you're looking up bells. Is that going to get me viruses? It could. Just be careful. That's all I'm okay. going to say. I'm Googling it now. I don't, uh, <laughs> I don't think I spelled Lexi right that first time. Okay, yep. That's... Uh, She's an actress. She's, she's an actress. See if she has any IMDBs. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to look at her profile. Yeah. All yeah, right. You probably don't want to. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, Skinny, this is another Reds-related question that I probably should hesitate to ask. But uh, I, this question is, I was curious how announcers would change approach with no fans in the seats. Unfortunately, on Reds broadcast, it appears the answer is that Tom Brenneman will simply fill the air with as many words as possible. Already this season, in addition to his usual half-informed nonsense, he has murdered Padres great Jack Clark and opined at length on the Chinese political situation. Can someone please tell Tom to shut up? <laughs> I don't um, think that's uh, our responsibility, first and foremost. Oh, oh no, I think, I think that's well said, whoever said that, whoever sent that in. I, I, I can't do it. I, I have my, my best friend who, um, who actually grew up in the house down by you, believe it or not, on, the, on University Circle. Um, Hill of Hills. But, Yep, <laughs> the Sea Hill baby. Um, he lives in Dallas now, and I, I'm watching the game Sunday. I'm watching the Reds game, and I literally at one point go, "Jesus, just shut up, Tom. Just shut up." And at that time, my friend and we text each other probably once every two or three weeks about how's the family, maybe something we saw that was funny, a sports related thing. Almost the same time, I blurted out, "Just shut up, Tom." He goes, "I can't watch this broadcast." 
Tom Brenneman talks too much. And I thought, well, okay, this must be universal. I mean, it, it's, it's insufferable. really getting, getting bad. The other night, the, this whole, he keeps doing these weird things too, where he is like, like he does it like it's on radio to where the, he thinks we can't see what's going on. And he may, like when he gets mad at the Reds or whatever, for instance, he's like, and there they take strike, strike two right down the middle. And the ball's not even no. in the FS Ohio on-screen strike no. zone, which they have on their broadcast. I'm like, oh, I, I saw that the other day, too. And maybe, maybe it was the same one you're talking about. I thought, that wasn't down the middle. That he, barely painted the corner, and it might not have even been a strike. He did it three times in, in like late in the game the other night when the Reds were trying to make a comeback, but they had gotten down big, and so he's pessimistic and jaded and being mad at them. So he's just crushing them at every opportunity, which I don't even mind. I don't even mind being critical of the team. But then when either. you're just blatantly lying to us, it's like, Tom, we can see what's going on, man. Like we're watching the game. I don't. That's a very weird way to broadcast. It's one of the reasons why, quite frankly, I usually I haven't done it yet because it's just been so insufferably hot at night. I just get the radio and go out and listen to the radio. Yeah, it's not a bad way to do it. Or uh, nope. I, I know uh, uh, our our guy Lance McAllister is always promoting some type of product that he he bought that like sinks it for you. It sinks the team. Yeah, no, I know. My buddy Jay Morrison has told me about that too. And, and maybe I, I don't know. I, I just, there's also something, there's also something about sitting outside on a nice, when it's not 9,000% humidity on a nice night and listening to the ball game yeah, with a cold beverage in your hand. Cigar something and a beverage. For that. And, yeah, yep. that's not bad. All right. And uh, that way I don't, and that way I don't have to listen to Tom. So that's, that's true. That's fair. All right. What are your thoughts on the Dodgers? Joe Kelly, maybe, but almost certainly intentionally throwing at the Astros after their cheating scandal. And then obviously his antics following him throwing at them. The, the tongue stick out was, is, is still a classic. I mean, he's a goofball. Um, hey, l- listen, the, the fastball behind Bregman's head was a little much for me. And, and, but at the same time, there's somebody was going to do it. And maybe this just gets it out of the way for everybody. I know probably the rest of the league Hell is tipping no. their cap to Joe Kelly. Um, I, I don't mind the up and ins or even at your, at your thigh. Like I said, I thought the fastball behind Alex Bregman was just a hair too much for me. But listen, you guys, if you didn't know this was coming, Astros, you're stupid. And you, you need to own this because you had it coming to you. This is exactly why we need sports to be back. Like this is the exact type of nonsense that we all need to escape from all, all the crap that's going on right now. When you have Joe's Kelly sticking his tongue out, making those wah faces over at the Astros. I thought it was was funny. And and telling, uh, uh, I I can't remember who it was. Maybe Altuve where he told him nice swing B word. Oh, I, yeah, I, yeah, I think it was Correa. That Correa, was, that was he told the last him nice swing B word yeah. after he yeah. struck him out, which is fantastic uh, trash talk. I like that. I have no issue with that. Um, I also love – I think every pitcher should just peg them. Those guys should get pegged all season long. Even if they win games because of it, I'm fine with it. Just keep pegging them. They're good anyways. I hope they get hit all season. No issue throwing behind their heads, any of that. Eh. All of it's coming to them. I don't care about protecting those guys. Normally, I would think that's cheap. But I'm all for it. And and I heard uh, our, our guy Mo talking on the other day that it was uh, like a scared move by Joe Kelly because guys can't retaliate now because there's stricter pe- fines and penalties for fighting. But I disagree with him. I think that's the perfect time to be a troll and start hitting these guys. They cheated. They're the one, they did the most egregious thing you can possibly do in professional sports, which has ruined the sanctity and the integrity of the game. Like they, If anyone ever deserved to be thrown at, it's them. I'm all for it. I have no issue with them doing it. And also, him, those antics, his, him making those faces, and then the two teams clearing the benches, 
but having to keep socially distanced yes. while they're acting like tough guys was maybe the, I mean, it's, it's something you only get in sports. It, it made absolutely no sense. Everybody looked stupid doing it, and yet everyone's acting like a hard out. It was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, the only thing I disagree with you on is the fastball behind the head, man. I just, that's... Keep pumping that, them in. That's too much for me. Buzz in their ears. If they, hey, it is what it is. They, they, they could cost I, other people's, their careers and their, their livelihoods by cheating. So it is what it is. If they get my, hit and injured, so be it. My, my favorite thing probably I've ever seen in my life was, this is back in the, this will make me be the old man in the group again. This is in the 1972 American League playoffs. You, it's on YouTube. It's one of my favorites. Uh, Bert Campanaris, who was a longtime shortstop of the Oakland Athletics, played on World Series championship teams back in the early 70s. Uh, there was a pitcher for the Tigers, Laren Legro, who it, it looked like threw at Campy's head twice. The second time, Campy came, went down, got up, and before, with just in a blink of an eye, took his bat and slung it right at the mound. I thought, okay, I like that. You know what? That's a great answer for me. Yep. Sometimes you got to do it. Skinny, yep. uh, this person wants to know, if you buy the same pair of gym shoes every time you need a new pair, or do you switch it up with every new pair? No, I've usually, I'm the Adidas tent sale guy, and I usually get a, a what would classify, I guess, as kind of a dressier pair of, of tennis shoes and, and then a, a basketball pair for basketball season. And um, so each year, get me, get me my nice two pairs at the, at the Adidas tent sale. I used to, I used to switch it up pair. a lot. No, no. I mean, one year I got all black. One year was 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 white and blue. One year was was white. With um, I've got a pair of grays now that I actually like. I used to. Funny, about four or five years ago, I saw people start to wear the gray tennis shoes, and I I didn't like them. And then I bought a pair, and I'm like, you know what? These go with just about everything. They go with they go with khaki shorts. They go with gray shorts. They go with black shorts. I like my gray tennis shoes. I'm pretty much a gray. I'm I'm filled with gray shoes. My my closet is almost nothing but gray. Um. So interesting thing that comes up on our uh, Dana and Victory podcast, the Xavier podcast, I do all the time. Dan, uh, my co-host, and I always talk about both of our fathers wear the vanillas, you know, the old man white shoes like the New Balances or the Nike Monarchs that are very common and fashionable among men 50 and older. Do you see yourself switching to vanillas at any point in your career? Really don't. I I do have a a, a pair of white basketball shoes that I use when I go coach at practice, but they have a a black trim to them, so they're not – completely all white I, I yeah i don't see myself doing that um okay. yeah i don't see kind myself bummer, ever I, I i never see i never see myself being that guy either with the uh with with the short pants and uh the dress socks I, that, summertime I, short I, pants summertime short pants yeah I, I can't and that that and the dress socks i can't i can't do that i'm not i, I can't be that guy either all right i'll, I'll try to keep it moving because we still have several to get to here all right. as a golf guy would you rather be able to hit the fairway on every drive Never three putt again, or have free beer on every course for the rest of your life. <laughs> free beer on that's the silliest question. Yeah. Free beer on every course for the rest of my life. Come Because you know what? Um, I, I'll live with a three putt because I do it now. I'll live with not hitting the fairway because I do it now. But you're going to give me the free beer? I, I, yeah, free, that's a silly question. I appreciate the question. Whoever asked that silly question for this guy, free yeah. beer. I mean, exactly. Because here's the thing: even if I was going to hit every fairway, well, then I would be four and five putting. If I was going to hit three exactly. putt again, then I wouldn't be hitting the fairway on my drive. So it does, I'll still suck at golf either way. Rick, it's funny. In my Tuesday golf league, it's become a running joke. I, I literally, I have shot. I've shot between 40 and 44 on every round. And most times, I think out of the nine weeks, I've shot four, exactly 42 six times. And so the funny part is now when I come in, they go 42 again. I go, yep. And I said, I did it a different way this time. I said, I hit two balls out of play. Um, another week, it'll be, I, I four putted three greens. So yeah, I can't be guaranteed if I hit the fairway, I wouldn't three putt. And I couldn't guarantee that if you take away the three putts, that I hit every fairway. But if you're going to guarantee me the damn beer, taking the beer. 
<laughs> All right. Skinny, are you a go to the movies by yourself guy? No, no. You're not a movie um, guy, are you? Um, I used to be a lot and a lot more, but um, no, I'm not a go to the movies by myself guy. I don't mind my alone time. Don't get me wrong, but no, I'm not a go to the movies alone. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. Um, I'm not either, but I feel like I would like it. I hear a lot of people talking about how great that is. And I'm like, you know what? I think I, that's something I'd really be into. It, it always feels like it. That. Yeah. And, and I guess for me, unfortunately, I just don't have that kind of time to, to do that. Maybe when I retire, I'll be go to the movies alone guy. But, but right now, I mean, once I get to this part of the year, usually it's filled with seven days of work and then you get to October, as you know, it, in the seven days of work, I get basketball practice and games thrown on top of that. So, and once I get out of the season, it feels like I need a month to decompress and then, oh yeah, then it's the NFL draft time. And so it just becomes that circle of constant stuff. So I, I think I probably would like to be go to the movies alone guy at some point. So yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah I, 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 but I'm not right now. No. Yeah, I think we're both curious. We're just not into yes. it quite yet. Yes, yes. All right, well, along those same lines, this question uh, from our buddy Mo Egger actually provided me a lot of entertainment this morning as I was ending my shift at Local 12 and uh, preparing for this podcast. He asked, if the two of you were to star in a buddy cop action comedy, what would its name be, and who would you pick to play the overworked, constantly on edge captain with a messy office? And uh, we actually had someone else already submit their response of what he would do. And uh, he wanted it to be called Skinny Dick and have Bill Burr as the captain with the uh, messy office. And he said the tagline would be, may not be pleasant, but it'll have to do. Oh, I love that. That's so perfect. <laughs> I, that's, that's well done. Um, I don't know. I'll tell you what, I, I'm always been, I was always partial to the, to the captain in Starsky and Hutch. Go Google him. Um, he, just, uh, he was always on edge. I just like, and he was always unkept. I, always li- I liked him a lot. I don't know. What, what do you think we would, what do you think we could call it? I'd have to think, I'd have to marinate on this one. For Bernie Hamilton as Captain Dobie. That's it. Bernie Hamilton. Okay. Dude, go look up, go, go YouTube some of the scenes with him. He is the, he is the quintessential guy. I want Bernie Hamilton to come back to life and he would play that guy. So I actually, um, I, I like the idea. I mean, for us, I think for us, the show would be Rick and Dick. <laughs> right? Pri- uh, pri- pri- Rick and Dick private oh, eyes. Oh, here we go. Two angry dicks. Two angry Ta- dicks. Tagline. Two dicks, one cop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, uh, I, I, here's who I like as the overworked, constantly on edge captain with a messy office, though. This is a little off the beaten path, but I'm a big fan of Glenn Close. I think like a six-foot-one woman who, who can also, by the way, I know she's like usually serious and great actor, but like she could just be this Northeastern, like uh, messy person who's like uh, – What's the matter with you two all the time? Like I could see Glenn Close being perfect that role, and the fact that she'd be towering over us and just making us look emasculated all the time would be would be perfect for this. That, that's not too. You know, else I wouldn't mind. He's not an actor, but I think he'd be good in that role. Tony Kornheiser would be good in that role. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, that's actually exactly what he looks like. Yes, more so correct. than his actual profession. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, okay. I, I love that question, though. I actually, if you guys want to submit more responses to that, I was loving uh, the, the response that we got on Twitter from that. That was fantastic. That was well done. No, I, I like that question. Thank you, Mo. Yeah. All right. Uh, someone else says, TikTok drama, don't want it, need it. So let me just start here. Skinny, if I say TikTok, what do you think that is? Do you know what that is? I'd say you're 14 years old is what I say. I, okay. Yes, I, I do know what it is, but I, I am, How would you I explain am, TikTok to someone? Um snapchat for children 
I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, okay. yeah. I mean, like, yeah. It's it's like sort of but set to dance and a lot of dancing and and yes. a lot of music involved. Yeah. Um, can you name one TikToker or like someone who's famous for TikTok? Do you know what it mean? Do do you know what it would mean when someone says TikTok drama right now? Um, no, I'll, I'll go as DJ Khaled, a, a TikToker. Uh, no, he's he's more like a Snapchat Instagram, Instagram guy. Yeah. yeah, but hey, did he do? Did he do his? Did he do his? His wife's birth on on one of the, like on yeah. Snapchat? Yeah, Snapchat Live. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, 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 wild yeah. move. Um, do, do you know who Charlie Demelio is? Have you heard that name? Nah, don't know Charlie. Okay. All right. Well, that, that's all we needed to ask about. I just I was just curious. Someone brought it up, and I was like, you know what? It's interesting to see. I don't know how far you traffic in the social media world. That's, I, that, I that, what that's what. Was. That's what I'll have to ask my twenty-one-year-old daughter. What, Charlie who? What's Charlie's <laughs> Charlie Demelio? Charlie Demelio. I'm gonna have to ask her after this podcast. I'll try to get back to you next week and, and yeah. report what I found out about Charlie Demelio because she'll know. She'll, she'll go, know. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. She'll definitely know. All right, Skinny. If you had to choose one team to win the title for yourself, who would you pick? And then who would you pick to win one for the city of Cincinnati overall? Like. I could pick any sport, any team. Yeah, I think that's the idea. It's like, who would you want to win the most for yourself? Like, who would you be most excited? And then who do you think the city would be most excited about? I could die the next day if Kentucky won, Kentucky football won the national championship. Yeah, I could I safely that's where say you that. Would go. That's I really could the only say, team you root for, isn't it? It is literally the only – and I don't know – it's so illogical, right? Because I'm a basketball guy at heart. I coach basketball, and yet I loathe Kentucky basketball. Part of it is because I loathe John Calipari. But I, I really do. I'm just I'm – a, I'm a – I am one that literally is on the edge of my seat when Kentucky football plays. And it's the only sport I, I I'm with that about. I, I, and I don't know why it's irrational to me. So yeah, I'll go Kentucky football. And for Cincinnati, I guess I'd go Bengals just cause they never have, right? At least, at least there's a, there's a good segment of people still alive that watched the Reds win in 90. And there's still a segment of the audience still alive that wanted to want watch them win in 75 and 76. And I'm in that group. I mean, I was a teenager in the mid seventies and, I was uh, an adult in, in, in 90, so I've seen all of those. Um, I've unfortunately, those seen the demise of the Bengals losing, uh, losing bad playoff games. So uh, I'll, I'll go Bengals. Yeah, for me, it's obvious. It's either easily NKU basketball, and um, then the, I think you're right with the Bengals for the city. I don't think there's any question. No, I don't think so either. All right. Uh, then we've got for both of you, what season was the most fun to cover? He has in parentheses like Xavier or Bengals, whatever beat you've worked. Um, let me think on that one for a second. Uh, I'll let you go first if you've got one off the top of your head. Um, I think it would be the 2011 and 12 Xavier basketball season for me. But it's not really because it was like such a special season – um, it was the year of the brawl, of course, which is, as I've brought up here before, is strangely enough, my favorite professional moment. I just thought that was a blast to cover. It was neat being the epicenter of sports talk for a couple of days. Um, and it was one of the first things that I had, like actually worked professionally that was, was that big. I gained like a thousand Twitter followers just from that event. Um, it was just, it was a unique time for me. I was still so young doing it, but that was the first year. So like Chris Mack's first year was 2009. 2010 I helped Brian Snow that year um and then the following year was my first year running the Xavier site by myself but I was still new trying to figure it out whatever um but that 2011-2012 year was where I felt like I was kind of knew what I was doing you had the brawl so I I really felt like I was in a groove after that and uh, I went and covered the NCAA tournament with the team they went to Atlanta um for the Sweet 16 they end up losing to Baylor 75-70 in the Sweet 16 but I got to see that uh UK Indiana game 
that was right after it. That oh, was yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And then I watched UK Baylor. So I saw that UK team the year that they went on to win the national championship. Uh, so I would say just that overall season from start to finish was probably my favorite year that I've been on working a beat. The only other one that might compete is when I was filling in uh, on the Bengals beat the year that they went to the playoffs and oh. lost it to the Colts. That's where, that's, where, and you, that's where you lost a lot of money playing left, right, center. Yeah, I did. But uh, you know what? One, that was pretty fun because I learned about left, right, center. And two, just that season, there were some really good games at Paul Brown Stadium that I helped cover with the Enquirer. That was, was really fun to cover. I think they're like the one where Pac-Man picked, picked uh, Peyton Manning off, and I, I remember, late, I think. So that was, I think, that no, was I a think fun year, yeah, I think that's the one Dre Kirkpatrick picked him off. Dre actually. Kirkpatrick, that's yeah, what it the was, yeah. On the Monday night game, yeah, on the yeah, Monday night yeah. game. That was, that, Dre, was a heck of a, yeah, that was a heck of a game. I guess I'll go the 2002-2003 Kentucky two seasons. Football that year uh, was the 2002 year, the year after they went 2-10. and 10, And it was Jared Lorenzen, the late Jared Lorenzen was the quarterback. Um, they bounced back to go 7-5. and five. Guy Morris um, was the head coach the year before, but it was kind of an interim basis. He got it on a full-time basis. And part of it was I, I developed a pretty good relationship with him to where I was able to break a couple of stories, and that always felt pretty good. Um, and then that basketball season was the 0-2-0-3. They, they went to the, uh, to the final – I always draw a blank on this – the final eight, lost to Marquette and Dwayne Wade, and that was when Keith Bogans got hurt in the, semi, oh, yeah. the regional semifinal game. That was a really good team and a fun team to cover. I, I like Keith. I had a good relationship with Tayshawn Prince. Um, I, I just liked that, that team, and, and uh, they, they just kept getting better as the year went along. So, and I like covering that team. So, yeah, I'll go, I'll go that year, the 2002-2003 Kentucky season for me. All right, and we will wrap it up with this. I agree with Rick on the need for local sports radio shows. This is going back to a, a tweet. I, I said the other morning that uh, it was basically the first Monday after – I saw your tweet. Yeah, the Reds had played their opening day, and you, you, know, you had three Reds games the – restart to talk about you get there monday morning and i'm walking the dog and i'm like i've got nothing to listen to right now like i'm looking for podcasts about god knows what and there's no like good local sports talk radio on so i was just like that sucks like i mean it just seems like it shouldn't be that way in a city like ours who's so obsessed with professional sports but uh anyway this person says what would a skinny dream team local sports radio team look like who gets what time slots and why Wow. Let's go three. We'll do morning. We'll do afternoon. We'll do drive time. So I get to be program director then, right? Yeah. Yeah. Who are you pairing up locally? Um, I, I'm going to pair you and Gamble up. <laughs> Me and Gamble. So I, I think, you know, who I think would be really good for a morning show. Joe Daneman. Yeah. Yeah. He's, like got he a needs- great, he's got a, he's got a good sense of humor. Joe um, Daneman was someone kind of pulse on a lot of things. Yeah. I, I, I like Joe a lot. I, I don't know if Joe, Again, sometimes doing radio is a whole different animal, as you know. Um, yeah, it is. I mean, but I think Joe's actually – I think he's smarter about sports than you would even know from, like, him doing – Oh, no question. Yeah, anchor, no, no. You know no what I mean, I, like, I think you would be like, oh, wow, he's a really smart sports guy if you got to hear like him I said, expand more. And he's got, a great, he's got a great sense of humor. He really, truly does. And that's the thing. So, I think – like, and he's, and he's like – he's fun. He gets, like, jokes. He likes to go off, off tangent a little bit. Him and Jeremy do a great job of keeping it light on set. I think he'd be good. You need someone light in the morning. I think, well, I think you need one of two things in the morning. You either need very just like straight, here's the rundown of the top stories. I'm Mr. News Sports Guy, who's just like very matter of fact in the mornings and just giving you kind of like the rundown of the day's stories, or you need totally lighthearted and fun. Yeah, I, I, to me, I, I always think you need a two-man morning team if you're going to do it. I mean, yeah, I do too. Do. I th- and I think you need to pair Joe with someone a little edgy who will get him a little uh, – 
you know, cause he's wholesome. He's a wholesome guy. I think you need someone to like prod him and, and get him down the road a little bit. Like, I'll him with like, Gamble. Like a Gamble. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think Joe I'll, and Gamble would be great. I'll, see, I, I know you and Chad butt heads, but I think you guys would do a good job in, in, a, in, a, in a time. So I'll put you in the, in the, in the late morning time slot, the 10 to noon. <laughs> that would be uh, the black and blue podcast. It may the, be. It may the, be. The, but, the UC and Xavier, we'd, we'd end yeah. up bruised, but we'd get through yes, it. Yes, you'd get through it somehow. Um, let's see. I'm, you know what? I'm going to put Mo noon to three. Mo and Tony Pike. I think that'd be a nice little team. I'm a big fan of Tony's. I'm, I'm glad he's doing radio now. I'll put Mo and Tony there, and I'll put Lance by himself three to six because he always was able to carry that time slot. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, there, there's my team right there. I actually really like Lance doing a show by himself. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I, think, I think Lance is fine doing his show three to six. Or uh, or six to nine, however it shakes yeah, out. But, there. Yeah, but I'm not even going to do the one at night, only because it's so convoluted when you have Reds baseball and basketball yeah. and all that stuff. So I'm just going to do it through the day part of six o'clock. Because my sense. station, the station that I'm going to be program director of, we're going to have all the properties anyway. So we're not going to need a sports talk show really dedicated <laughs> at night. We'll just have different people fill in. So there, there's my team. It, it's 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 Joe and Gamble in the morning, followed by you and Chad, the black and blue edition, ten to noon. Mo and Tony noon to three and Lance by himself three to six. There's my station. So I, I love Mo's show. Mo is Mo has my favorite like on air show. I listen to it pretty much every day. Um, but I really like when Mo has someone else that he's like riffing with. Oh yeah. I think like he's he he's funny when he has someone to, to interact with and play off of. So I'd love to see Mo and George Vogel do a show together. George George's got a nice sense of humor. Yeah, that's those are two funny dudes, but also like good sports guys. Like know their stuff, very local. Um, and you got a little generational gap there, right? Yeah, yeah. You can give you, you know got George to bring kind of the uh, the older perspective I, a little bit. I, I will say if I, if, I, if I seriously sat down and did this, I wouldn't mind if you did that to have a generational gap. I like the fact we have a generational gap. I, like I the love fact it. You asked me something about TikTok that I have no idea who the hell you're talking about. I know of TikTok. I just don't know who the hell. What's his name? Charlie Duchambelay? What the hell is his name? <laughs> Charlie Demelia. She's a female. Demelia. Yeah. Oh, it's a female. She's, she's a, a guy. Multi, multi, multi millionaire. She's like 17 or 18 now. God love her. God love the yeah. people that have somehow made her rich and famous. That's yeah, she, insane to me. She makes like 10, 15 second long videos a day, skinny, dancing. What if you did that? that. She's, what if we got you on TikTok? What if your daughter got you on TikTok? You would go viral in a heartbeat if you just started twerking on TikTok. I'll, I'll have to. Well, it's funny. She does listen to, to, to while she's like cooking occasionally in the morning. She'll be listening to something. I'll come in and do some kind of crazy dance that she just can't stop laughing at. Oh, so. my God. You would, you would be skinny. I mean, you could you could retire right now. You can just be a millionaire from TikTok. It'd I'll have great. to ask again. Char- I'll have to ask about Charlie Dumalier or whatever her name is again. And, <laughs> Nailed and, it. And she can she can let me know, and maybe maybe I'll have to. She can be my entrepreneur on this. No, I totally agree with the generational gap thing, though. I think that's huge for. I I love that about doing this podcast. So yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think the generational gap is completely perfect. Yeah, <laughs> I like the question. Yep, and that wraps it up. That's our ask skinny anything. Hey, anytime, folks. We love the questions. Thanks again for uh, for submitting those, and thanks for listening. For Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. This has been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope the edition. 